Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Ian Sieb. He is the co-founder and partner of Denver Relief Consulting, and he's got, uh, you, sort of, you sort of got your fingers all over this industry, man. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, uh, tell me about yourself. You know, how, how, how is it that you got started in this space? Well, first of all, thank you very much for for having me on your show. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to spend a few minutes with you today, Tim. I'm, I'm delighted to have you, really. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Feel the same way. Um, I, how did I get started? Uh, the short story is I was helping. I I, I learned of a doctor who was writing uh, patient recommendations to people who had legitimate reasons to have medical marijuana in Colorado so long as they had medical records. Uh, So I got my medical cannabis license in early 2008, late 2007, early 2008. And as a result of that, I recognized that uh, people didn't know how to go about doing that. So I started uh, from there and it just uh, it took off. Um, so, so I, I read a bit that, that you were in real estate before, uh, you know, starting, starting businesses in the cannabis space. And what's interesting to me is, I mean, you're probably the fifth or sixth person that's appeared on this show, uh, that actually has that background. So can you tell me how, uh, how, how those two industries sort of work together and, and why, you know, uh, there, there is a lot of people who were in real estate that end up migrating to the cannabis space. Uh, sure, uh, and, and and certainly from from my own experience, uh, I was I was involved. Colorado, uh, I had I had several different jobs uh, out of college. I was doing some IT stuff, uh, but I really uh, came to the understanding that I worked best for myself. And that having a boss was not the way that I wanted to live the rest of my life. So that's why I chose to get into real estate. And uh, I was I was uh, involved in the foreclosure market at the time. Uh, Colorado was leading the nation in uh, 2006, 7, 8 in, in foreclosures. We were a little bit ahead of the curve. And uh, as that started to peter out, uh, is when I I started to uh, when I got my medical cannabis license and as far as the crossover I think that as I, I was just suggesting so many people like to work for themselves real estate affords people uh, the opportunity to do that and real estate as with any other industry is cyclical so when you're in the uh, when you're in the kind of the low uh, the low end of it where there's not as much uh, on the market and not as much opportunity. I think it's natural that people who have an entrepreneurial spirit spirit are going to start around, look, start looking around for other things. And although I was still doing okay in real estate, the reason why I actually left real estate is because cannabis started taking up so much of my time because it was getting so successful that I, I didn't have the opportunity to do both. But uh, I really feel that the, the entrepreneurial crossover uh, allows for people to naturally move from real estate into cannabis. So, so describe now your experience in the early stages of Colorado's market and eventual migration to adult use. 
Sure. You know, the, in the early stages, it was, it was crazy TG. We had, you know, we started off as a delivery service. So the way that we started was we put in $4,000, I threw in 2000, Kayvon threw in 2000 and our other business partner threw in $2,000 worth of cannabis at the time when it was $4,000 a pound. And we bought some car magnets from Vista print and bought some business cards and uh, put a tiny ad in Westward, uh, the village voice media on the back page uh, the, the outside cover that said Denver Relief dot 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 we deliver and uh, we started this delivery service and in in the early days it really was kind of uh, kind of the wild west we uh, we followed all laws uh, that that were on the books which was that we were only selling to patients uh, and we only sold what we were allowed to sell we only carried what we were uh, legitimately uh, authorized to carry through. Uh, Amendment 20 of the Colorado Constitution, which is the original uh, the original amendment to our Constitution that allowed for medical marijuana. So it, it was there, there wasn't there weren't a lot of rules. We had uh, we had uh, a couple negative things happen uh, in in the beginning or some challenges. Uh, one of my my original business partner. Who, uh, who we got rid of early on, uh, didn't follow our business protocol, and he got carjacked making a delivery the first time to a stranger. Everything ended up okay. They, they ended up with some cannabis and some money. The car was found. Nobody got hurt, nobody uh, that we we're aware of. And then we had a, we had a run-in with uh, the, Denver, uh, the Denver Vice Squad and their drug, um, their drug task force network, and that was because we were making a delivery and it was in a uh, in a Burger King and Starbucks parking lot because the first time we're meeting somebody, we'd like to do it in a public space um, for, for obvious safety reasons. And there was a security guard. It, it happens to be near the University of Colorado downtown. And there was a security guard guarding the lot to make sure students didn't park in the lot and go to class. And he saw this uh, this interaction going and he actually called the police. I showed up. The police showed up. And uh, in the end, they asked us if we wanted to press charges against the guy who called the cops because he pulled my delivery driver out of his car without uh, being authorized to do so. And in fact, we weren't violating or breaking any laws. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. Um, we, 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 we've had some, uh, we've had some crazy stories. I did get followed by, uh, a crime syndicate early on. Uh, it was, we believe, uh, a mob syndicate here in Denver. It had to do with us, uh, stealing their phone number very early on, which was, uh, for our, our phone number of our dispensary before we sold it was 303-420-MEDS. And, uh, when, when we got the phone number originally, the phone company called us back and said, we, we, we messed up. You can't have that number. And then it belonged to somebody else. And it's another long story, but we ported it over to a cell phone and then we got followed and we had a conversation with some people. And uh, luckily, I'm still here today to tell the tale. So so it, you described sort of this this early going Wild West. And so when when uh, when when the market moved over to uh, adult use, uh, what would you do then? Uh, we, we waited, we didn't, you know, well, first there was, there was the whole regulations of medical use, you know, that th this was prior to 
medical regulations being enacted that either uh, th that actually allowed for the sale and and uh, distribution through through dispensaries. So you know we had to set up the regulatory regime for that first in Colorado, and that took uh, that took a few years to get going. And then in you know we had the election in 2012, and it it. Uh, authorized uh, medical or adult use cannabis to be uh, sold beginning January 1st, 2014. And so what did we do? We, we waited. We were not the first to do it this time. Uh, we, we took a little bit more of a, uh, of a wait and see approach rather than being the first ones to open. There was a lot of uncertainty as to whether the feds would come in immediately and shut people down, whether or not they would be a target, whether or not it would be good for medical cannabis dispensaries. Uh, certainly, I was in favor of it. Many people in the industry were actually opposed to it because they thought that it was going to welcome uh, the federal government coming in and, and shutting our our medical regime down. So, so the rules sort of have. Uh, I mean, you've been involved since since the early days. The rules keep changing. The rules continue to change. Um, you know, the, there's some new new. Uh, there's some new new laws taking effect uh, within Colorado that were signed by the governor. Can you tell me about these rules and uh, you know what what's your reaction to them and the industry reaction? Well, there, there's there's rulemaking that's going on right now. Uh, there's work groups meeting. I think there's five different work groups that are meeting, and uh, there's several different changes that are that are being proposed, but. You know, with, with with every step of the way, there's going to be some pushback from the industry that sees in in general that some of the regulations uh, are very expensive and onerous, uh, and in some capacity, uh, the the industry wants to see the rules change uh, in a positive way, in that there's perhaps less regulation for things that we realize that there has been uh, overregulation on. Uh, the governor's always signing uh always signing different uh not always but uh has has been a uh a pretty good supporter over the past couple of years, but it seems like they've uh, they've had to uh, make make lots of changes. And perhaps what you may be referring to is that they had to call the governor had to call a uh, special session of our state legislature uh, back in, into session um, because there was a small drafting error, and the error actually uh, prohibited the state from being able to uh, move tax money over to uh, schools and rec centers and and use prevention programs and it was done in error so uh, the governor's called everybody back in to fix that and I'm sure that we'll see some other things that are slipped in as well so you're also the uh, you also for, for a time served as the chair of the National Cannabis Ind Industry Association um, what's the importance of these organizations uh you know especially in Colorado which has a far more mature market than than most other states right now yeah you know uh I National Cannabis Industry Association, for your listeners who don't know, is the it's it's the largest trade association in the country for cannabis operators, and in fact, it's the only it's the only national trade association that uh, that is that was created specifically for operators. And we work uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, there's over 1,400 members, and we look we we lobby uh, the legislative branch to try and change the laws so that we can be treated like any other business. And uh, it, 
the industry is is of tantamount importance. We've been told by uh, legislators time and time again that they have supported what it is that we're doing and, and co-sponsored and got behind bills as a result of their constituents coming in and talking to them about uh, about cannabis and the fact that it's not as dangerous as people thought, that youth use uh, is not going up and in many cases going down and as states seek to regulate it, it's probably better for the legislators in those states that they uh, they back their people and, and the will of the voters, um, as in most cases, uh, that's how, that's how uh, medical cannabis exists in, in, in 30 plus states. You know, there's a few where it's passed through the legislature, but by and large, it's always been a vote of the people. So I, I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, the Den Relief Consulting and, and the charity work that, that you've done uh, throughout your time in this industry. But before we get into that, we got to take a short break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall. If you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry, Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look. Visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States, from entry-level bud tender positions to executive-level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. Companies who are listed in the Gontrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Ian Sieb, co-founder and partner of Denver, Denver Relief Consulting. Um, so as a, as a you know, the, the, the NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association, I, I just want to take a quick step back. What, what are the sort of, uh, what are some of the things that you guys have lobbied for or against or are lobbying for or against now? Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, quite simply, we want to be treated like any other business. Uh, there's a lot of challenges with working uh, with a product that is scheduled and it's federally illegal. And as a result, we don't have uh, access to traditional banking services, uh, especially merchant services and lines of credit. Uh, it's virtually unheard of in the industry. And we, uh, we have very difficult time paying our taxes uh, in that we are, uh, we're penalized with a punitive tax called 280E that was created in 1982 as a result of a cocaine trafficker who was deducting all his business expenses. And so we're not allowed to make regular business deductions. So banking and taxes are the two main things that NCIA has been fighting and will continue to fight for until we're treated like any other business in America. And I, I mean, just sort of inside, I mean, it's, it's totally nonsensical that you know, you guys are operating with a state legal uh, industry and you're, you're subjected to this this federal penalty that was for drug dealers. Um, just just a totally bizarre. I mean, there's no other industry that that has those sorts of handcuffs at all. Yeah. 
there is no other industry that has those sorts of handcuffs. You're absolutely right. And it's it's crippling to to some businesses. Uh, you know, we, we can't deduct our labor. We can't deduct our marketing expenses. We, we The only thing that we're able to deduct is the cost of goods to produce the cannabis that we sell. That's it. And I've, you know, I've, I've spoken to many people from, from Denver and from, uh, you know, uh, from Oregon and that whole thing. And then, you know, people think, well, you know, they're in the cannabis industry. They're, they're just rolling in money. And, and the reality that, that I've been told is that, you know, the taxes and, you know, the, the fact that you can't operate, you, you can't use these deductions, you know, takes away from, from your bottom line and, and actually, you know, is it's sort of people think, you know, oh, you know, they're just rolling in money, but it's sort of counterintuitive when you think, uh, you know, all the other the 280E and the fact that you can't uh, deduct these things. Yeah, it's 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 pretty punitive and it's it makes it very hard to conduct business. And it, it is a misconception that people involved in cannabis are just rolling in in money when, in fact, uh, most of it's going to the feds. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so I want to switch gears a bit. I, I want to talk to you about your charity work. Um, you know, so, so a lot of this you've done with, uh, the, with, with the Denver relief consulting and, you know, uh, you, you fought for civil rights issues as a cannabis industry operator. Um, so can you tell me a little about, bit about, the, you know, how you've done that, um, before I talk to you about Ecker Farm? Yeah, you know, we we've we've always felt that being involved in our community was was an important thing and you know, that's that's not something that came about as the as a result of being in the cannabis industry. Just the way I was brought up, I was brought up to try and make the world a better place and I think both Kayvon and Nick, you know, we, we the three of us come from very different backgrounds, but all three of us uh want to see the world uh in in a better condition than what, than we, when we got here. So, uh, we, we started incorporating, uh, charitable work into, uh, what we do in early 2010, shortly after we opened, uh, the retail store and it's just, uh, it's continued. And we now actually have, uh, an organization that as of, uh, a couple of weeks ago is, is, uh, now a 501 C three and a 501 C four that is focused on doing community service based activities, uh, with and for the cannabis industry. So I preparing for this interview, I spent a lot of time, uh, reading up about the, the e-car farm, farm project. And, um, I, I, it made me really excited because it's 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 a it's a it's a really beautiful sort of pursuit. Um, so can could you tell our listeners more about that project and 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 what you do there? Yeah, Ecar Farm is a uh, it's a community farm uh, here in Denver, Colorado. It's on uh, the land has been gifted to the farm by uh, the Denver. Uh, Denver Academy of Torah, actually, which is a, uh, a religious school here in Denver. And it's a uh, it's a couple acre farm that uh, cultivates uh, fruits and vegetables. And then they uh, they do a number of things with them. Uh, one, they donate it to uh, to a couple food pantries, uh, the Jewish Family Service Food Pantry, what uh, the Weinberg Food Pantry, which is available to all. Uh, they work with uh, Denver Urban Gardens. Uh, they work with a restaurant called Same Cafe. Same Cafe is a cafe on Colfax, one of our main streets here in Denver. And Same stands for So All May Eat. 
and it's a restaurant where you pay what you can afford to pay to eat there. And uh, our green team has been going there for working on the farm for this is our seventh season in a row working on the farm. And uh, we do everything from helping them uh, weed the garden to planting seeds early on to harvesting fruits and vegetables uh, later on in the year. It's a very it's a very small organization. They have only uh, really two full-time staff members and are largely dependent upon uh, volunteers to help them to help them get through. And the majority of their volunteers, while very helpful, um, are school-aged children. And so having uh, 40 or 40, 50, 60 able-bodied adults come out uh, once a month for a weekend night and work a couple hours in the garden is the same thing as them working, uh, you know, two, three, and sometimes even getting a month's worth of work done in an evening, uh, given the small staff that they have on hand. So it's been a pet project of ours for the past several years. And uh, it's also been a point of uh, charitable contributions for us. We have, uh, you know, we we now have the ability to pick and choose some of our clients. And in some of the uh, days where people were boasting of their wealth, we we dared them to put their money where their mouth is and uh, were able to secure some large contributions for eCar Farm as a result of some of our clients who went on to win licenses, recognizing the same values that we do. The community service is important. So was was a farm sort of something that you you saw as kind of a perfect fit, considering your you know in in an industry that grows things. Yeah, it really did. You know, we were able to we're able to. Um, it, it, it was it was a natural it was a natural fit when we first started working with them. We're cultivating cannabis. They're cultivating fruits and vegetables. There's a lot that goes into uh, you know a lot of it is very similar, albeit they're outside um, in in an open space and we're in uh, in secured buildings. But uh, certainly, uh, growing plants and vegetables, there's there's a lot that we have in common, and uh, it allowed us also to to help you know we help them construct some hoop houses. And we've been able to, uh, in, in, in small scale, been able to get uh, used, uh, used equipment and supplies over to them as well. That's really, really incredible, man. Um, you know, I, I just want to commend you on, on the project. Um, and and be, because, you know, I think farming is really essential for, you know, any community, really. And so, you know, the fact that, that this farm provides for, you know, the same cafe and, and for, uh, you know, for food banks, I really applaud and, and commend your uh, your work on this. Well, thank you. I, I applaud and, and commend them for, for doing it for so many years. And I applaud and commend our volunteers. You know, it, it, it was just my idea to work with them, but it's not my man hours that go into it. It's it's. You know, it's the industry and it's the volunteers and it's the people that that believe in what we're doing that allow organizations like the Green Team to thrive. So I, I, I got to talk to you about uh, another uh, couple projects that you're working on uh, or have worked on. And before we do that, we got to take a last break. This Gontrepreneur.com podcast and T.G. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. 
We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Ian Sieb, co-founder and partner of Denver Relief Consulting. Um, so you are one of the investors behind the recent High Times buy. Um, you know, I, I've been reading High Times probably since I was old enough to to read and you know <laughs> buy it from the you know 13 years old i was probably reading my, my first high times magazine that's that's not even a, an exaggeration um how does it feel to be part owner of one of the most noticeable counterculture publications in history man you know it's it's kind of crazy i'm in the same boat as you man is that i started reading high times or saw it for the first time when i was in high school i think one of my uh Friends' parents had one that we saw, and and you know it was back when everything was very very much underground, and it was uh, it was the brand, right? It was the only cannabis brand that really existed back uh, when I was growing up, and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy to be part of uh, the ownership team there. It's been a fun experience so far. Uh, the people that I've gotten to work with over there, uh, Adam Levin, Matt Stang, Kevin Giles, Danny Danko, they're, they're, they're fascinating people. And, uh, um, I consider myself fortunate to be a part of that project. How'd you end up getting involved in that purchase? Like, how'd you find out about it? How'd that go down? How did I, I found out about it through ArcView. Uh, ArcView is, to my knowledge, the, the largest uh, investor forum that that is out there for people who are looking to get involved in cannabis or looking to present an idea. And uh, High Times was going to be doing a pitch uh, for the ArcView investor members. And uh, for whatever reason, they ended up not doing it. And I reached out to... Uh, to the gentleman who was who was putting it on and that was adam and uh i didn't realize it at the time but come to find out adam and i had actually met uh several years prior um 
this is pretty funny, in a hotel room that Sheldon Adelson gave me to throw a party uh, in Vegas. That's bizarre. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, yeah, Adam and I met in in uh, one of Sheldon Adelson's personal hotel rooms, uh, Sheldon Adelson being the notorious anti-cannabis uh, casino magnet. And uh, the rest is history. Now, 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 we're, now we're in business together. So hold on. How, like, how did you end up getting, what's the story with Sheldon Adelson? I mean, it, it was, so I was, I was there. I happen to be in Vegas. I do a lot of work in the Jewish community here in Denver. One of my friends who is also, uh, spends his time equally between Denver and LA, uh, does a lot of work with, uh, with, uh, the Republican party. And he was there in Vegas doing something with young Republicans. I was there in Vegas doing so with young Jewish Republicans. I was in Vegas doing something with uh, young Jews who support uh, charity and philanthropic work. And uh, the two of us came together and we threw a party. And with his connections, he was able to get uh, Mr. Adelson to uh, to donate one of his own personal rooms uh, to host the party for us. You have some strange bedfellows, my man. It was it was crazy. And, you know, this was this was uh, this was even before that the last election. This was when he was uh, working to to uh, push Obama out of office and was unsuccessful in doing so. So this was uh, many years ago. I I I, I take that back. It was uh, it was in it was in uh, early 2000, uh, early 2012. So, yeah, I guess it was before the election, before the 2012 presidential election. So what what's what's next for you, man? Like you have you know you have all these projects going on, the philanthropy work, the the you know the Denver Relief Consulting. What what's what's next for you? What's next for me is uh, is that we you know we sold Denver Relief last year, and we've been working with uh, a lot of our ancillary and uh, and non ancillary partners around the country. So we we still have you know we have a dispensary in Las Vegas called Silver Sage Wellness. Uh, we are partners in Cresco Labs, which is in almost every dispensary in Illinois. Uh, we're also going to be opening in, in Puerto Rico. Uh, my heart goes out to everybody in Puerto Rico, by the way, with everything going on there. Um, we, we are one of four companies that won both cultivation and dispensary licenses in Pennsylvania. So we'll be opening three dispensaries under the Cresco Yeltra brand out in Pennsylvania. Um, and we have a whole host of ancillary companies that we work with. You mentioned High Times. Also have a Vapor Slide, which is the first dual-use vaporizer that you can hit dry or invert and put into a, into a bong. Work with Mana Molecular Science, which is doing some disruptive and groundbreaking technology things as it relates to transdermal technology and using 3D printing technology. Uh, continue to work with Dymapack, which uh, is formerly Stinksack. We've been working with them for years. They were the very first company to have a child resistant package for the uh, for the cannabis industry still on the board of uh, mass roots and I'm doing a lot of work with uh, a new organization called the 
national, it's fairly new, uh, it's a couple years old, called the National Association of Cannabis Businesses, which is, uh, unlike NCIA, which works at the legislative branch, this organization is a self-regulatory agency that's working at the executive branch. So working with the former chief of staff of the DEA, uh, the former head of Homeland Security, uh, one of Vice President Biden's uh, former senior advisors, and uh, working with this organization to help create some national standards and bring some self-regulation to the industry. So definitely staying busy, Tim. Yeah, I guess so. When do you sleep? Uh, you know, <laughs> when my wife lets me. <laughs> Um, so finally, man, you know, you're, you're obviously, you know, you, you obviously know a little bit of everything and a little bit more of everything else. Uh, what's your advice? And a whole lot of nothing. And a whole <laughs> lot, I, you know, I feel like I don't know very much when it comes to the cannabis industry, believe it or not. Uh, what, what's your advice for entrepreneurs working in this space, my man? And I, I have several pieces of advice. Uh, get involved. Uh, make sure that you're active in your community and, and you have a good reason for, for getting involved. Uh, listen. There's a whole lot of, uh, of knowledgeable people out there. Uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to separate uh, the, the true business people from, uh, from the people that are looking to uh, just pass the buck. But uh, by and large, I've learned a whole lot from listening to other people. And, uh, and three, be... Uh, be involved in the community in a grand scale. Uh, it's it's very rare in one's lifetime that you have the opportunity to uh, to create a new industry, and uh, all of our all eyes are on us. And so, uh, being being attentive to the communities that are allowing you to be in this business and and helping them improve and get over their challenges is. Uh, is a huge opportunity for any entrepreneur who's looking to get into this industry. Well, Ian, I, I really want to thank you for, uh, you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. Um, you know, and, and thanks to Ezra, uh, Soyferman for getting us together. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. Shout out to you as, yes. Uh, thanks Ezra over <laughs> at, over at tweet up North. Yeah, yeah. I'm ho I'm hoping that he that he travels through Burlington again here shortly. But again, man, you know, th thanks for taking the time. You know, I I think that I might have to reach out to you and and have you on the show again because I mean, there's 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 just not enough time in in 35 minutes to kind of you know discuss everything that you do and and really sort of pick your brain. So uh, you know, you, you might be hearing from me in the near future. I, I would I would be happy to. Uh, you have a great show, great podcast. Uh, you've you've had uh, many wonderful guests, uh, people that I look up to on your show, and I, I'd be happy to chat with you anytime, Tim. Appreciate it, man. And uh, you know, definitely keep us in the loop on everything that you've got going on. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. You can find more episodes of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfold.